Hi, I'm Chris. Hi, I'm Chris. And we both love films, don't we? Yes, but not necessarily the same ones. Well, we're, 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 we're kind of aiming to finding. Yeah, we're working on it. This is a podcast where one of us shows the other a movie that we like, and the other person uh, maybe ruins it. Maybe. Maybe. Chris, what did we watch this week? Well, we watched a film called Midnight Cowboy. Yes, we did. Which I uh, first saw in, I think it was, I can't remember what it was, roughly around the late 90s, probably. Okay. And I was rather captivated by it, and I couldn't quite explain why. I can explain why. I think it was the the kind of image of just the idea of going going off to New York in the sixties and kind of experiencing it, mm. and it kind of fulfilled a lot of what those ideas were that, you, that I might have had about that. Okay, I mean that's very interesting. I actually wouldn't have guessed that because the movie very much does not glamorize. No. Going to New York City. And this was back when New York City was still kind of rough. Back then, you'd probably have an arc pretty similar to, uh, what's his name? Joe, uh-huh. the main character. Because New York has sort of gone through this thing where New York used to be like really bad. Like, it was shitty to live there. It was hard to live there. It was rough. And now it's hard to live there, shitty to live there, but it's not as rough. Not a lot happens plot-wise. No, no. It doesn't have a classic arc in no. terms of plot. Basically, our main character, Joe, uh, starts the movie in West Texas. Yeah. Working as a dishwasher mm-hmm. in some shitty diner. Yeah. And the opening montage is him dressing up as a cowboy and then getting on a bus to New York City. Mm-hmm. Where he meets some colorful characters, is homeless for a while. Yeah. Uh, he goes to New York City to be a hustler, which in today's parlance would be a sex worker. No one kind of ever uses the word hustler, though, do they? No. 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 Maybe back then, but nowadays you just say hooker or sex worker. But they didn't use it in the film. I don't think they did. Joe uses it. That's how he describes himself. I'm a hustler. Okay. Which is very strange. It's a bizarre word choice. Um, Because hustler can also mean... A grifter. Yeah. 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 And he's not doing that. He's not smart enough to do that. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So Joe is a very bad hustler. We should also say that Joe... You kind of get some glimpses into his past through these flashbacks he has. Yes. So he was kind of brought up by his grandmother, and she was a bit loose, wasn't she? She had this weird I don't partner. Think, I don't think it's implied that she's loose. I think it's implied well, not, that she's not a typical grandmother. Okay, she's a bit she's a bit off off the rails. Yeah, a loose cannon. I mean, what do we see? We see her. And her boyfriend and the kid are hanging out in the in the bed, which, you know, in the context of the scene isn't super weird, but describing it in words, it sounds really yeah. fucking weird. Uh, and, like, we get a shot of her leaving the kid money for pizza or something, because grandma's got a date. Uh-huh. I thought that maybe the movie was insinuating that grandma was a hustler. Oh. And that maybe that's where he got the idea and why he sort of has glamorized it because he he experienced it. Okay, I've never that's never occurred to me, but that's a possibility. Hmm. I think I just get you kind of get the impression that that just helps to create the impression that Joe is very he doesn't really have anyone. He's very unloved. Yes. yes. And so that, so that's one of the reasons he. Yeah, I mean, and I could also, be reading see, into it. Also, in the flashbacks, you see him. He's got this girlfriend who. Yes, those has, flashbacks were. Uh, what rough. Do you think of that? 
So they uh, get raped basically <laughs> by this gang. <laughs> Way to put it delicately. Yeah. Um, yeah. So in these flashback flashbacks, Joe and this woman, who is apparently his girlfriend, <clears> we <throat> see them being intimate and cuddly, and it cuts to them having sex quite You're a few times. You're the only one, Joe. You're that's the like only one, Joe. That's the recurring. You're the only one. Yeah. Which, like, usually if you have to tell him, he's not. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But then, you know, that immediately takes a very dark turn, mm-hmm. where they are having sex in a car, they're both naked, and a bunch of guys show up at the car with flashlights, and they're looking in, they rip the doors open, rip them both out, chase them slash drag them into what looks like an abandoned barn, and then proceed to rape them both? Yeah. That was disturbing. I don't know why that was in there. The entire subplot with the ex-girlfriend makes no sense to me for the film. Okay. Like, if they took every part of that out... It would have had no impact on the plot. I don't think it would have impacted the characterization in in any significant way. We'd sort of get the... It's shown throughout the film that Joe is sort of optimistic and stupid. Yeah. And when things don't quite go as he imagined, he gets a little down. Which are all perfectly reasonable responses. And I think the movie is using these flashbacks with the girlfriend and the trauma of them being raped by a bunch of guys to sort of characterize his melancholy, but I don't think it's necessary. Okay. I also have a problem with the way that the flashbacks are actually put into the film because every single one is a hard cut. It's, you know, one second close up on Joe's face, next second he's running naked into a barn and being raped and it's very jarring these cuts and uh, I think that is intentional I was gonna say but I think there's that's the idea but they use the same hard cuts for like the childhood scenes where there's nothing happening where like grandma's like I left you some money on the counter for dinner I've got a date and I think using the same cut for both undermines the choice Okay. Yeah. So, I've never flash- had a problem with that. Yeah, the flashbacks, I had a problem with, both because they are somewhat traumatic. Mm-hmm. They're not really necessary for the the story, and the way they're presented is kind of okay. And they kind of stop after when the film gets to a point we don't, we don't get them anymore. They go. At least three quarters into the film, we keep getting flashbacks because it reveals that they were raped. Okay, so maybe it's like two-thirds into the movie that we get the reveal that these flashbacks, these traumatic flashbacks, are they were raped. So maybe that's when they end. And the, the last third is sort of free of flashbacks. When Joe moves to New York City, he immediately gets a room in a cheap hotel. Uh-huh. And he's like, this is luxury. I'm in New York City. I've got my own room. Amazing. Then he gets he gets bored quite quickly, doesn't he? There's a scene where he's flicking through the channels and you see all the all these same cha- these same change of programs and, yeah. get, and then he gets the impression he gets sick of it and turns it off. Yeah. I think that is right before he meets Rico or Rizzo or Ratso, depending on the Has scene. Has he met for he he tries it on with some women first when he gets there, doesn't he? Yes. He, when he, immediately when he gets there, he is like on the street corner in like the Upper West Side trying to talk to some old Excuse ladies. Me, like, ma'am. Excuse me, ma'am. Have you seen do you know where the Statue of Liberty is? Yeah. Oh, the Statue of Liberty. Um, I have to say, you're not looking for the Statue of Liberty at all. Yeah. No, the ma'am, first, I'm not. The first lady clocks him immediately <laughs> yeah. and is like, you touty fuck, get away from me. <laughs> Yeah. The second one is like, she also clocks him, but she's like kind of into it. Cats. Yeah. She's like, follow me. It's in Central Park taking a leak. Yeah. You can catch this, still catch the show <laughs> if you hurry. Um, but she 
She's like, yeah, I'm down. You should come up. And, you know, whatever. Uh-huh. Uh, they have sex. It's the next morning, isn't it? Is it the no, next no, no. morning? Same day. Same day. Same day. She's like, all right, I got to get ready for my date with Murray. Uh-huh. Get out. And he's like, I need money. You owe me you money. You were going to ask me for money. You were going to ask me for money? You were gonna... In case you haven't noticed, I'm one hell of a gorgeous chick. Yeah. She, uh... And then he's like, oh, of course, Cass. I wasn't going to ask you for money. Yeah. yeah. She yeah. starts crying, and he's like, I'm not, gonna, I'm not asking for you money. I'm asking you if you need money. Uh, so... So he's not a very good hustler. Yeah, he is the worst fucking hustler. Uh, you always get the cash first. (laughs) Don't go into any strange places. No. You agree on rights and then get... Yeah. Yeah. You don't go into their home without getting the cash first. Oh, no. So he didn't really learn... He didn't try and find out how to be a hustler before. No, he's, um... Like I said, he is stupid and optimistic. Yeah. You know, it's endearing, sort of. Uh, he meets Rizzo shortly thereafter, uh, who is um, a grifter. In a bar. Yeah. Yeah. In a bar. He's a grifter. He's homeless. Or he's not quite homeless. He has a place where he lives, but it's not quite a home. <laughs> Yeah, I wouldn't. Yeah. yeah, it's 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 a it's a place. It's yeah. a, a dwelling. A dwelling, yes. Um, and there's some sort of issue at the bar. There's a scene where this very effeminate person is yelling at Rizzo for something. Mm-hmm. I can't remember what either. I, I assume this person was also ripped off by Rizzo. Right. Um, right. But they show up like in one other scene in this movie and it's just to be like I told you so yeah so I I also think they were totally unnecessary if Joe had sort of met that effeminate person first and they were like I'll show you around no 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 I'm not gonna do all that though and then he met Rizzo I was like Rizzo will do all this and that effeminate person tried to warn him about Rizzo that I could see being a stronger entwining in the plot but as it stands, I think that character was number Anyway. Um, I, okay, I think it kind of adds to the... I kind of think it adds to the, the feeling of being in New York and all these different characters. I don't think it, it matters. You can say it wouldn't mm-hmm. add to the plot, but, I, yeah. but it adds to the, the feel of the, yeah, to the, the feel. Sort of. The mise-en-scene. Yes. <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, I guess that... Yeah, that Because if we'd met this guy previously, we would have seen all these characters, all these wild, crazy, colourful characters that Joe meets in New York. Yeah. And it's not just... as what it, adds, it gives us as the viewer as well. Yeah. Picture it paints. I think I would try to accomplish it differently. Okay. Um, So, like, if you really want to get across that New York is a city of characters, uh, having Joe meet them in sequence rather than meeting two of them at once. So, you know, meet this effeminate person (coughs) first who is, you know, very in your face, very loud. Mm -hmm very much a character, and then meeting Rizzo, and then having those two interact, okay. I think that would be more compelling. Okay. But Rizzo kind of puts him onto this guy. Oh, Daniel. Or was I, it Daniel later on? I don't remember. Um, he's not a super important character, I think. The scene is bizarre. So Rizzo is like, yeah, I'll get you a hustling gig. You just got to meet my friend first. He's going to set you up. Uh-huh. And he takes him to his friend, but not without getting 20 bucks first, ripping him off 20 bucks, which back then was a decent amount of money. Uh, this friend he meets is 
this very intense older man in a bathrobe in a one-room apartment uh, I was very uncomfortable with this scene but I can't quite place my finger on why because the man is he's not overtly sexual he's just very intense and then the scene gets weirder when he insists that Joe pray with him. Yeah, yeah. To the Virgin Mary, which is on the back of his bathroom door and surrounded by uh -huh. lights. Uh, that's weird. That is a lot. If you see that in someone's home, you better fucking <laughs> run, which is exactly what Joe does. He runs. Uh, yeah. Again, very weird scene. I don't know what it means, other than I was very uncomfortable. I mean, nothing really happens in the most well, of the movie. He needs to get he bumps into Rizzo again, but this is this is there's a, there's a bit of a gap. Yeah, there's a bit of a gap. Joe is sort of wandering around. He's standing on street corners and giving people looks, but it's not quite working out for him because um, he's dressed up like a fucking eight foot cowboy, and nobody's looking for a discreet sex worker who's dressed as an eight-foot cowboy. He's, he is the worst hustler ever. Um, <laughs> yeah, he he's wandering around. He's flat broke. He's been locked out of the hotel, and now the hotel has his stuff. And he runs into Rizzo in a, in a diner. Yeah. Or he's looking through a diner window at people eating. And he sees Rizzo, and he goes in and There's confronts him. There's a little exchange, him. nice little exchange of them smiling at each other and then realizing, oh yeah, and yeah, gazing uh, after him. Yeah, they have an argument. Rizzo tries to give him sixty-three cents, which um, okay, I guess that's all he got. That's all he got, uh, which makes sense because uh, Rizzo then says, "Look, you need somewhere to stay. Come stay with me. I got a place." And then we see why Rizzo only has 63 cents and he's dirty and he's coughing in a way that suggests like a primordial illness. He is living in a condemned building in just this abject, disgusting place. Uh, it's very depressing. Yeah. Very bleak. Very bleak. He has... It looks like there's a <clears throat> a bathroom, a kitchen, and like a dining room area. And this uh, dining room area is... We don't see much of it. It seems to be filled with junk. It's kind of... Yeah. Yeah. There's already two beds in the place, which was convenient. Rizzo gets one. He encourages Joe to take a nap on one. Uh, and as Joe is falling asleep, Rizzo is staring at him, which is a little bit odd. Uh, but it turns out Rizzo just wanted to listen to his radio, Joe's radio. Joe wakes up. He's very confused. Where are my boots? Where are my boots? And the boots are next to the bed because Rizzo was like trying to be nice. He's trying to be. Yeah. I mean... This is sort of the blossoming of their friendship. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. There is a lot to be said about Rizzo. I think he's... I think Dustin Hoffman is amazing in the role. I, you know, I can't... Who's playing Joe? Don Voigt. Okay. He's quite good at getting that sort of podunk, optimist, stupid. Um, but Hoffman, I think, really goes for it in a way which is um, actually a little bit gross to watch. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways. Yeah. He's from the method school. Yes. Uh, yeah. So that's not surprising. Yeah, he's gross. He's, <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's nothing. 
I don't know if there's a nice way to put this, but he's homeless and a grifter, and he's gross-looking. Mm-hmm. He is very dirty. He is coughing a lot. He, his body is falling apart. He's not in a good way. No. He's gross-looking, which is not a moral judgment, because you sort of you do what you have to to survive. But he's gross-looking. <laughs> Neither of them has any money. They sort of spend the middle quarter of the film not doing much. No. <laughs> they just kind of have each other. Yeah. yeah they, they... they go off and they go off around the city and there's a scene where they're in the city and they're sitting like nearby um, I don't know what the proper name for it is where, where the people get their boots shined and some guy yeah. comes along and thinks they're going to try his boots. So Rizzo does it because his his dad did that. Yes. He talks about his dad a lot. His dad was abusive or just horrible and got got really ill from I don't think inhaling. he was abusive or horrible. I think <clears throat> his father was just trying to make an honest living and the only thing his father could do was shine shoes. Which is what made him ill. Yes, which made him ill, which ultimately killed him. And I think Rizzo resents him Presents his father for never doing something else, for never, you know, abandoning this pretense of, of, uh, um, yeah, there's, respectability. There's a scene where they go to his grave, isn't there? And there's a lot of it. Yeah, there's a lot of exposition there where he talks about he talks about him. Mm-hmm. The, <laughs> the structure of the movie is quite weird, right? Because the beginning third and the last third quite a bit happens and the middle third there's nothing like they sort of just go around the city rico is trying to show joe how to do some basic grifting and joe's not good at it but it's kind of building up their friendship that's kind of this that's the point of all this yes all this grifting all this those two getting to know each other and the audience getting to know them yeah And then, so, they're in the cafe, this cafe they hang out in, and then two people come in, and they're, they're, they've got a poster for this this event that's happening. Yes. This Warhol-esque party. Yes. This, these two Warhol-esque people. Yes. In fact, one of them is, I think it's Viva, he's one of the, one of, his, one of Warhol's actual oh. stars. Hmm. I think it's, I think it's her. Um, yeah. So, and they invite Joe to this party. They take his picture, give him a. They fire. invite Joe, and Ricky is like, "Oh, are we going?" And Joe's like, "I'm going. I'm going." <laughs> nobody invited you. I don't know where you're going. <laughs> nobody invited you. Um, but of course they both go. Yeah. Obviously, I mean, what what else would happen? Um, they get there. It's. It is blowing this poor Texas boy's mind. <laughs> He's seeing stuff like on the walls. People are dancing. There's drugs everywhere. There's music. It's super cool. Super New York in the '60s kind of vibe. Uh-huh. Um, this is this is what I was talking about when I said it kind of f- fulfills the your your, your imagined perce- perceptions of New York in the '60s, rather than the dingy grimy depressing bits yeah I would say that is a very interesting take because the party scene is quite short yeah and it's but it's what it's what I remembered well and it's also for a long time after saying it it's also interrupted by sort of reality barging back in because Rizzo is stealing food right (laughs) yeah so I think that's very interesting. You sort of remembered the the happy parts of the party where Joe gets to smoke a little weed and then uh-huh. leave with somebody, but not the parts where Rizzo is stealing food because he's homeless and struggling yeah. to survive in 1960s New York. What else was he going to do, though? Yeah, of course. Like that's you steal. Where, that's where he went. Right? Yeah. If you're there food. and everybody's stoned but you, you take their stuff. Yeah. You rob yeah. them. <laughs> that is the whole point. And so, so Joe meets Shirley. This, yes. Um, this 
then Good Time Girl. Do they meet in the dark room initially? No. I think they meet because they're both they're both staring straight at the camera. It's implied that they're watching something happening at this party. She's smoking a little weed, and then she passes it to him, and he smokes a little yeah. weed. Yeah, she comes in and she goes, hi. I thought that was in the dark room. Have I misinterpreted that all the, all the times I've seen it? I mean, maybe it is. Maybe I just didn't recognize her in the dark room. And so she's up for it. And she's yep. up for paying him. Yeah, she seems a little eh about paying him. She's I imagine she's not accustomed to paying for yeah. it. But she does. Yeah. It's only twenty bucks. Mm-hmm. Uh and Rizzo has like a one dollar taxi fee <laughs> so he can get home. Um and what's very interesting about that scene in particular where they're sort of negotiating is that once the negotiation is done and Rizzo tries to leave, he cannot walk anymore. He's struggling to stay upright. And Joe at first shows some concern. Are you sure you're okay? Yeah. Why are you holding on to that railing? But he still leaves. Well, he's, that's because he can... Well, is the, at what point... Have they already discussed about going to Florida by this point? Yeah, I mean, as soon as they get to Rizzo's place, you see it's plastered with things about Florida. So, 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 Joe is leaving to go with Shirley to get the twenty bucks mm-hmm. to help them on the way to Florida. Yeah, yeah. So, what's interesting about that is that Rizzo clearly needs help yeah. in the moment, but their longer term goal of getting out of New York mm-hmm. is a is partially accomplished by Joe leaving to do this job, which is to have sex with this woman yeah. for money. And I think it's very interesting that Joe put Rizzo's immediate need for help aside in order to do the long-term yeah. thing. Yeah, but remember, Joe's not the brightest button. Yeah, Joe is dumb as shit. Uh, and also, he cannot stay hard, apparently. Because <laughs> he goes back to uh, Shirley's yeah. place, and uh, the next scene is them in bed She's smoking and she says, it happens to everybody. But she gets them in the mood. They're playing Scrabble. Yes, she's very good. Honestly, <laughs> she should be the sex worker in Nacho. Because she's very good. Lay ends in Y. They're playing like sexy Scrabble <laughs> bullshit. And then it's... So... <laughs> then the scene sort of does a gear shift. And it gets very sexually aggressive. She's biting him. They're sort of throwing each other around a little bit. And the score in that scene, I noted, was very strange. Because to me, it sounded like the scoring you would get for... A Western. A Western. Uh-huh. But specifically, the battle charge scene. <laughs> right? Um, the actual piece of music on the soundtrack. I listened to it the other day. It's yes. called... Oh, what was it called? Joe... Joe... Oh, Joe gets hard. <laughs> well, something, something along those lines. Joe. I thought that was a very interesting choice because mm-hmm. it's, yeah, yeah, Western battle invasion cowboys on horseback charging, and also Joe getting hard enough to have sex with this woman. Now, I think it was also sort of, it was sort of interesting that the, the, it's not. A classical sex scene, which is like no, soft lights, no. soft focus. You know, nobody seems all that into it. This is like aggressive, like "fuck me now" uh-huh. type of scene. That was kind of interesting, especially with the scoring. Joe Buck rides again. Joe Buck rides again. Uh-huh. That is the worst thing I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. after is very weird because she is setting Joe up on a new date on the phone. So I think this is almost like his pimp. Yeah, she's sort of taken over managerial <laughs> duties. She sat there looking like him like she's his manager. Yeah. At first when I when that first that scene first started, I was like, oh is this several months later where like they're going steady but also she's hooking him out? 
And then I realized, no, it's just the next morning. She's just very direct, apparently. Mm-hmm. Well, that's the kind of woman he needs, really. Yes, definitely. Um, Joe goes home. He's got some clothes and some food because he got paid. Mm-hmm. And he sees Rico at home. Rico is in a bad way. Mm-hmm. Rico is on the verge of death. Yeah. Desperately needs help. Joe puts him in bed and says, I'm going to go get a doctor and leaves. Uh, but despite the urgency of Rico needing to see a doctor immediately, Joe goes to play in an arcade for a little bit. And then, uh, yeah, I guess maybe he's looking for money. Yeah. There's there's also flash not flash well um dream sequences where they're imagining themselves dancing along the beach in Florida. Yes. Rico's having fever dreams of his Yeah. His future Florida days with Joe. Which is kind of interesting. Um Rico is running on this beach without a limp. In mm-hmm. fact he's running faster than Joe, which I thought was a very that's some that's his dream yeah it's a very specific and interesting choice uh-huh. for the characterization because rico has um a persistent limp throughout this uh-huh. film uh you know he refers to himself as a cripple that people mess with him because of that so i thought that characterization in this dream sequence was very interesting but it was also very interesting that joe was there that they were still hanging out yeah, I mean, it, it sort of implies that their friendship is actually real and deep, that they are. Yeah. Well, it's interesting that... Because Joe... It's interesting that Joe kind of essentially chooses Rico over Shirley, this this forthright woman. Yes. Who would have been good for him, would have kind of put him on his, his way mm-hmm. somewhat. Yeah. Um, and then I guess they're short of money for Florida. And Joe goes on a date with a businessman. Yes. Traveling businessman. Yeah. Um, and it's. The businessman describes Joe as. Um, very elegant, so not to worry about them going to this fancy restaurant together, which is interesting. I don't think anybody would describe Joe, <coughs> the homeless co- cowboy, as elegant. I think what he's really describing is you sort of fit a very particular aesthetic. That, So I think what he's insinuating is that the fancy restaurant that they're going going to go to is gay owned or like you know gay subculture dominated, mm-hmm. and that because Joe fits a certain aesthetic of masculinity, almost almost like cartoonish masculinity, that he shouldn't feel self conscious about being there. So in other words, he'll be welcome there. They'll, yes. they, they'll they'll want him there. Yeah. But I think the phrase very elegant. Elegant is not the right. Yeah. I think that that is like a specific choice that implies a a great deal. Yeah. Um, But uh, they don't really get on, do they? No. uh, They go back to the hotel. uh, And uh, we see a new side of Joe. Yeah, when we haven't seen. No. Yeah. Joe beats the shit out of this businessman <laughs> and takes his money. Yeah. And he beats him beats the shit out of him in a way which his teeth come out. Yeah, I was squeamish. Uh, it his false teeth. Yeah. In terms in terms of like on the last episode we talked a lot about like reveling in violence. Yeah. That scene I think really reveled in the violence. Right. So Joe, no but it's, but it's important violence because we see yes. this new, yeah, it's kind of really new important. side of yeah. yeah. 
So Joe not only hits him with his fist. But hand, why, I, why does he hit him? Why? So what provokes Joe to do so this? The man says, "I can only give you so much money. I don't remember what it was." And Joe says, "No, I need enough yeah. to get to Florida." And the man says, "I'm sorry, I just don't have it." So Joe goes so for this, the wallet. So yeah, so Joe is. Joe, this this is Joe's need. Joe's, Joe needs this money. Yep. This is what makes him violent. Mm-hmm. It's it's kind of putting his, his his dream in in danger. Yes. So Joe goes for the wallet. Yeah. The man resists. Joe hits him, and then Joe takes the phone receiver. This is the old style of phone that you could hit a maid with, uh-huh. and he puts the receiver in the man's mouth. And hits him. And it knocks his teeth out. He's bloody. It it was really He's jarring. saying, take the money, take the money. Take the money. And all the while, this businessman is saying, it's okay, I deserved it. I brought it on myself. And that's what really got me. As if he was kind of enjoying it somehow? Yeah, sort of. Like, it, you know, it's like the whole self-hating gay archetype, mm. like, because he brought this male sex worker back, he deserved to be attacked. He deserved to be hurt. Yeah. It's internalizing the homophobia of society and believing that it is something that comes from you, something essential to you. And that was that's extremely well done, and I never want to see it again because it's very <laughs> effective. Because I think, I think most of us probably start out somewhere on that spectrum. Okay. So yeah, that was a difficult scene. But moving on, we're ne- we're coming towards the end. They mm-hmm. they're kind of they're kind of set to go to Florida. Yep. Um, so they they get on the bus. Oh, relevant to this podcast, uh, he's given the Medal of Saint Christopher, the patron saint of travelers. Mm-hmm. Christopher. Oh, Chris yeah. and Chris, Christopher, yeah, yeah. This is the high quality content that, that you is... come to Chris and Chris for. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, they get on the bus, and uh, the bus is from New York City to Florida. Having... Go straight there, direct. Is it direct? <laughs> it's very convenient if it is. I don't think it's direct, because they're on that bus for at least three days. Mm. Uh, and I have driven from the northeast to Florida and that takes like 20 hours so if it's direct it it can't be direct because it just they would be moving at a snail's pace Uh, they're on the bus for a very long time Rico is um, not well he's really not well he's dying of mysterious illness coughing a lot at one point, he pees himself, uh-huh. and he and Joe have a good laugh about that. Um, and then at some point, uh, Rico dies on the bus. I, I know I was supposed to feel sad, but I didn't find it affecting. Like, I think because it, maybe because it's just telegraphed from the moment we meet Rico. Well, he's gonna he's gonna die. By yeah, I mean he movie. had he had Chekhov's cough the whole movie, so you know it wasn't a but, surprise. But I don't think it matters that there is that kind of oh yeah he's ill we're gonna die. It's it's kind of did you not care about this character or Joe? Did you get ever, ever care about Joe? I didn't care about Joe. Because as far as I could tell, Joe does not have an inner life. He sort of experiences the world quite bluntly. And, you know, the inner life that we see are through the flashbacks, which, you know, they are sort of inter- they're important for the backstory, I suppose. But I didn't think that they... The content of the flashbacks, I don't think, had enough direct correlation with what we saw in the mm-hmm. film. Okay. But do you think, 
do you think Joe... So Joe had a, a rough life. It's not that bad. It's... Well, it's implied that he probably did. I mean, the gang rape, obviously, and then, you know, being a homeless sex worker in New York City for a while. Those are bad, but that does not a bad life He's, make. He was optimistic about leaving Texas and getting, going yeah. somewhere. Yeah. I would do you say, think that was... Do you think that... Do you think he was optimistic before that? When he made that plan? Yes. Okay. I think he was... Uh, Naive, even. Yeah. Okay. Um, I didn't find when Rico died on the bus very affecting, probably because we saw it coming so early. So you just sort of, you were prepared. Uh, what I did find affecting was after that, where somewhere in Florida, Miami, mm -hmm. I think, Joe is coming out of a clothes store. Oh, no, it's before that. It's before. It's before that. He puts his his, his a cowboy stuff in the bin. Yeah, he throws away his cowboy boots, his cowboy hat, his cowboy jacket. Yeah. that's That was quite affecting, because that was, I think, the first arc we really got for Joe. Mm -hmm. So when he went to New York, he brought West Texas with him because he was still doing the cowboy character. Even if it's a cartoonish version of West Texas, it is like the idealization in his mind of what West Texas is. And he wanted to play on that charm in order to be a hustler in New York City. So this whole movie, Joe has not really moved. You know, he's physically moved from West Texas, but he hasn't emotionally moved from West Texas. It's not until Florida, when he disposes of those old things, mm -hmm. that he's finally moved on. Mm -hmm. and he's ready to start anew. That I found really affecting. And he has clothes for Rico. He puts Rico in the clothes because Rico has recently peed himself on the bus, and Rico then dies in these new clothes on the bus. Um, yeah. It is certainly tragic that Rico didn't make it to Florida. Uh... I don't know. There, there's. I guess the, what we have to consider is, is what we think Joe. So we've seen Joe's arc. Mm -hmm. How do we think Joe is going to cope? Next. Uh, that's interesting. Um. Because you can either see it as Joe has been going through life, being optimistic despite not being having anyone or being loved. Yeah. And then he meets this guy who kind of... Who cares for him. Gives, him? gives him that. Yeah. And that maybe that's why he chose to stay with him rather than going off with Shirley. Yeah. And maybe that's... And maybe that's why... why you know, he gets so he gets to Florida. They get to Florida, and and he dies. Mm -hmm. Do we think, oh no, poor Joe, he's fucked now? Or do we think Joe's had this? He's had so this and his optimistic nature. Mm -hmm. This can only do him good. He can move on from this and yeah, continue I'm, to progress. I'm not worried for Joe in Florida. Okay, in part because. Joe, along the way, I think it's on the bus ride to Florida, says to Rico, you know, maybe I should have just gotten a real job, a respectable job, doing something. Maybe he can do that in Florida. And also, in, in the language of the film, Rico talks about Florida as this incredibly idealized place. It's always warm. <clears throat> Nobody's going to make fun of him. It's going to be easy street. Quote, even an idiot like you can make it, he <laughs> says to Joe. Well, that's that kind of blind kind of, I'm going somewhere else. 
Yeah. It will be great. Yeah. I mean, so one thing the movie does really well is it captures the naive optimism of moving to a new place and yeah. thinking your life is going to yeah. be totally different, which is something I understand quite. We've all done it. Yeah. I think this movie was maybe too long. I think it's like an hour 56. Something, so, something like that. Something yeah. Like that. Nearly two hours. Um, and there are certain pieces that I don't think are necessary for telling the story that it wants to tell. Certain characters, certain scenes. Are you surprised to learn, or were you surprised to learn, that the director was British? No, that actually makes things make a lot more sense. Um, I think... I think... I've heard, I've heard some people say it was an Englishman's vision of New York in the 60s. I think it's an Englishman's vision of America, actually. <laughs> you know, I think Americans have a very cynical viewpoint about uh, what life is like no matter where you are mm. in the US. And I think most of the British people I've met have had a very idealized perspective on America, mostly because uh, when they're there, they're there to visit. Yeah, They've never had to navigate the healthcare system in mm -hmm. the US. They've never- The expensive healthcare system. The not only expensive, but explicitly a scam healthcare system. Um, were you surprised to know that this film was very successful and won lots of awards? No. Uh, I can see that it, it's a very good film. Uh -huh. It's well made, well acted. The story structure is a little fluid, Yeah. which I didn't respond to particularly well, but I'm sure it at the time it probably played quite well because it was sort of coming off the tail end of the 60s <coughs> or at the tail end of the 60s. Mm -hmm. So I'm not surprised it did well. It was the first X-rated film to win Best Picture at the Oscars. Yeah, I read that. Um, it's been re-evaluated as R. Yeah, I mean, what should you get now? I think this was X-rated? One thing that the movie touches on a couple of times but doesn't engage with is the prevalence of gay subculture in New York City. Yeah. It only it's, interfaces with yeah. it in terms of Joe hooking up with uh, these two guys mm -hmm. throughout the movie. Um, actually, one scene is kind of... I, th I think it's the scene where we learn that Joe and his girlfriend were gang raped in a barn yeah. he's on a date with some nerdy guy who's actually kind of cute oh the guy who who hasn't got any money yeah but he's got books <laughs> but he doesn't yeah yeah he doesn't beat him up then no um this guy goes down on joe in a movie in the theater. cinema that was it yeah yeah uh which is great uh, that guy, A plus, good job. <laughs> um, you got him to come while he was thinking about him and his girlfriend being gang raped, which, goddamn, that is talent. But yeah, so it, it sort of touches on this, but it doesn't deal with the subject very well because mm. we don't even see it like at the party. No, we don't really see any queer people in New York City in the 60s other than the two guys that Joe hooks up with. Yeah. And I think that is... That's not surprising because, you know, because the, the straight's going to straight. Yeah, the director was also gay. Was he? Yeah. Oh, okay, well... that's. But I'm, that's, I'm just kind of thinking... It's less what, excusable. What would they... How much, how much did they want to show of that? At the time, or could they show? I mean, they had a lot of time in the film to play with because that whole yeah. second act where they're yeah. building the yeah. friendship and there's no plot really. Mm -hmm. I think you could have thrown in 
two or three things and it wouldn't have felt crowded. You know, even if like Joe and Rico's like, I know a good place to grift. They don't call the cops and they go to like an underground gay bar in New York City. And Joe's sort of there and he's trying not to interact, but also recognizing that this could be a good place to get clientele because he fits this very cartoonish version of masculinity okay. while Rico is, say, robbing everybody. <clears throat> what I should have done is uh, read up some more on the background. And I've got a, bu- I've got a biography of John Schlesinger, the director, I, yeah. which I've never read. It's a big, fat book. <laughs> and I should have, like read up about it in that book because there's probably a lot of explaining in there why things were done and why things weren't done yeah maybe Hmm. so okay Uh, you you haven't ruined it for me which is good yeah which is good but it's given me more things to consider when I watch it Mm -hmm. next time um yeah I did not hate it. Good, good. I mean, the thing for me about that film is I relate to Joe quite a lot. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like I was saying about this guy who's not, doesn't feel he's loved or has anyone and he goes off to this new place. He meets this this guy who becomes friends with. Um, I find that, I find that quite touching, quite moving. That is very compelling. Um, I didn't hate it. I didn't love it either, though. Um, it was okay. I didn't find a lot of the emotional beats impacting um, or affecting. And I thought the story, for what it included, could be tighter. Which, you know, that second act where they're just friends, grifting. homeless friends, grifting. Uh-huh. Uh, that was not a fun thing to watch, you know? Like, within two, three minutes, I sort of got the hint, and then it felt like it went on for another half hour. Yeah. And it... That was a lot to sit through, I thought. But, yeah. I didn't hate it. I didn't ruin it. We're really living up to the title (laughs) of this podcast. (laughs) Well, that's good. Yeah. Okay. I think... The next one I show you, you might actually ruin it, which makes me nervous. Okay. Well, that makes me excited. Yeah. Because it's about time I ruined something for you. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Well, that's... Okay. Well, there we go. Yeah. That's Midnight Cowboy. Midnight Cowboy. If you haven't seen it, then hopefully we might have made you want to see it. We might have made you... Not want to see it? It's up to you. Yeah. It's... If you have seen it, maybe <clears throat> you want to rewatch it and consider things. Yeah, absolutely. 